Father, we love you and we thank you that you care about every soul, every person in this room, every person watching now by live stream. God, I thank you that you know every situation and you have given grace that is abundant, that supplies every need. And that, Lord God, we, we want to just honor you for helping us to seek you, helping us to get our hearts right. And today, Father, I'm praying that our hearts would be opened, that we would receive the truth that's getting ready to be revealed, that, God, it would change our perspective and also with it our entire life. We give you praise for it, Father, right now, and we honor your presence in this room. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're starting a series today called The End, and we're really going to be talking about the return of Jesus today, and really that brings everything into perspective. I know the quest for knowing the future has always been big in most people's minds, and when we do that, it propels men into one of a couple of directions. It either propels us into speculation or into some type of manipulation. Uh, and uh, I, I'd, I'd love to know the future. How about you? Wouldn't you just love to know what's exactly going to happen? And uh, men have given their lives to that completely. I know that the Mayan calendar said that the world would end uh, in December 2012 specifically December 21st, 2012. So if you hadn't noticed, the world has not ended. And, and then people like Edgar Wisnat uh, wrote a book in 1988, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back, Why the Rapture of the Church is going to take place in 1988, and, and that hasn't taken place. Uh, Harold Camping said that the, the, the rapture of the church would take place on May 21st, 2011, and the end of the world would take place on October 2011. And in case you hadn't checked lately, that didn't happen. And because those things don't happen, sometimes uh, these are just men and their speculations. Uh, we tend to think that it's not going to happen. But, uh, but the Lord is very, very serious about the future. And right now, we've been in a season where people are writing books about all kinds of different things, and it happens. I've been in this thing for almost three decades now, and actually, I've been a Christian for over three decades, and so I've seen the different patterns that we, we run in. Now, we're talking about blood moons, and we're talking about feast days, and putting it all together, and uh, we're never going to be negative about that. But Jesus is very, very serious about his coming. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end of what is happening, and he's the in-between also, so he knows exactly what's going to go on. Uh, I, I've, I've watched movies and about end times, and it's just amazing how every movie uh, towards the end of the world is always negative, toe up, man. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, look, look, crazy people running all over the earth in old vehicles, dirty, never take a bath, violent and, and, and consciousness and, and all these things take place. And, and that's what seems to be the pattern of people. And it's probably going to get very, very bad towards the end of the world. I would think so because I read my Bible. But I, I do know this, that uh, Bible scholars say that approximately 20% of the whole word of God is given to prophecy. And the Old Testament prophesied the first coming of Jesus, and there's probably five times more prophecy concerning the second coming of Jesus. Uh, and so I think we should give space to that and, and see how that's going to affect our lives. And uh, for, for you who are really into this, and this seems to kind of like propel your life about 
signs and wonders and the future and, and all these things. Uh, let me let you know that there are many, many views of the end time, of the study of the end times. And uh, sincere people are seeking to just uh, understand the Bible, the prophetic word to bring it. But one thing we want to do, we want to keep it simple and civil. And it's not a point of contention or division. It's actually a point of unity because every believer should believe that Jesus is coming back. Okay. And my pastor taught us years ago, he said, you know what? If you'll just live right, do right, love Jesus, however things happen, you'll be all right. That's not enough for some, but I think that's enough for Jesus. And, and so, uh, the first century church, as we look to those people, they were absolutely convinced that the second coming of Jesus was right around the corner. Matter of fact, they thought like Jesus is coming back next Tuesday for sure. I mean, they did because in the writings we see that. I mean, they, they truly believed it. They, they were concerned also about their family members that had died and, and the believers that had died. And what's, how's that all going to work together? And, they, and same questions that you even have today. And so the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to answer uh, one church in, in a book he wrote, a letter he wrote to the Thessalonians. And we read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The, the wonderful thing is that this morning when I opened my one-year Bible uh, to read today's reading, this was the scripture of today's reading, which I don't know about you, uh, but I like it when Jesus ties things together with the one-year Bible and the music and the songs we worship to and the Word of God and all those three are different components that come together. But it did today, and so I'm excited. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's words, we tell you that we are, who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage, not discourage, but encourage one another with these words. So today, I, I want to just encourage you with three reasons why we as Christians have hope. We have hope. Say the word hope with me. Hope. We have hope, you see. And so, when we, when we first start looking, it's just kind of like three reasons why. The first is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. The return of Christ is imminent. It's come. He's coming. Christ is coming again. And that is good news to the church. Good news. And uh, you say, well, how do we know that Jesus is coming back again? First of all, we know because Jesus promised that he was coming back. We, he, he promised it in John 14, three. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. <laughs> That's just so great that you also may be where I am. It's a promise of Jesus and all the promises of God are yes and amen. You live by that. 
Every word that God has ever spoken has come to pass, and those that haven't will come to pass. Exactly like he said it, not in our timing always, but in his timing, because he's the timekeeper. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says this, says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So the, the, the first century church, they were longing. Paul said, you know, I've got a crown laid up for me because I'm longing. Matter of fact, they longed for the coming of Jesus. They believed it so strongly that they actually had a greeting that when they met each other, they would use this greeting. They would use the word Maranatha, which simply means our Lord is coming. Our Lord is coming. I mean, that's, that. you know, have you ever heard, has anybody ever greeted you that way? We, we say, hey, dude, what's up? Where you at, bro? How you doing? Yeah, hey, man, everything. But, but they would say, Maranatha. Our Lord is coming. Our Lord is returning. They believe that. And I believe a lot of people believe that. But I believe a lot of people are going to miss this crown that Paul is talking about. Because I believe there's a whole lot of people are either indifferent to the idea that Jesus is returning. Or even worse, some people do not want Jesus to return. Not yet, because they like this world so much. Many years ago, I preached a message to the church called Iron Shoes, meaning that people are anchored to this world. We've got so many loves and cares for this world that when we think about Jesus coming back, we say, well, Jesus, could you just wait until I get that another promotion? Jesus, could you just wait? We've got a family vacation coming up. Or, Jesus, can you wait until I get married? I've got a wedding in six months. The cares of the world weighed us down. So rather than having an eternal vision that beckons the coming of Jesus, we kind of shut it off and become indifferent. And we're going to lose a crown on that day. But I don't want to lose that crown. I want to say, Jesus, come back. Come on back, Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 4.14, he says, We believe that Jesus died. And rose again. That's the new birth we shared with you last week. We believe, Jesus, that you died and you rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. And that's just a poetic way of saying those who have died. And I know we, as Christians, we hate to say somebody died, but they die, man. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so they die and, and they've fallen asleep. But one day Jesus is going to wake us all up and put everything back together. It's going to be a great day. In the 16th verse, he says, for the Lord himself, not, the Lord Jesus himself will come down from heaven. In the book of Acts, when Jesus went up and he ascended, angels spoke to the, the disciples there and said, why do you look up gazing? This same Jesus that you see ascending will also return again. The same Jesus, this one, the Son of God, is coming back. He said he's going to come with a loud command with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ. They're going to rise first. This is the greatest victory. Victory over death. We're not talking about, you know, and I know when we think about rising from the dead, we think, oh, is it going to be like some, some of these movies you've seen where, you know, this hand comes out the dirt in the graveyard first, you know, and, and the music is, and everybody's afraid. It's not a horror movie. I don't know how Jesus is going to do that. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know one thing, he's coming back again, 
and there is going to be the resurrection from the dead. People are going to rise from the dead. And, and that kind of gets us going because resurrection is like such a weird thing because we're so tied to this world and the physical realm that we don't embrace the supernatural that says there will be resurrections. Matter of fact, there's going to be two major resurrections that take place. The, the first resurrection, and there's so much confusion about this, but it's not really confusion. It's very, very simple. The first resurrection is going to be that of Christians. We just read about it, raised again. And we will all, those who are Christians, will stand before the judgment seat, the judgment bar of Christ. And we will be judged for what we did in our body, the deeds that we did, not our sin, because our sin is judged at Calvary. And if we receive Christ and what he did for us, our righteousness, like we just worshiped to, then, then our sins are covered. But what we did with what Jesus gave us on this earth, we will be judged and we'll be given rewards or rewards will be kept back from us. Now, if you're the type of person who says, well, I don't want a reward. I just want to get in by the hair of my chinny, chin, chin. Well, then that's fine. But I would like to see Jesus and he say, well done. Rather than, well, come on in. You made it. That's the mentality of most people today. Oh, well, if I just make it, C minus on the test is good. The second resurrection is the resurrection of non-Christians. The Bible calls this the great white throne judgment where people will be judged for the deeds they did in their body. They have not received Christ, so they have no righteousness, so they must stand before God in their own righteousness. And that will not make the grade with God. No man is righteous enough to stand before God. And so they will be judged. A book will be opened. Their name will not be written in the Lamb's book of life. And when that happens, they will be judged for their sins. And there'll be absolute judgment with no redemption, no chance, no reconciliation, barred from the presence of God for all of eternity. This is a big deal. The second coming of Jesus is a big deal. Revelations 20 verse 6 says, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. It's this way. If you're born once, you have to die twice. If you're born physically, you will die physically and then you will die spiritually. But if you're born twice, if you're born of the water, a natural birth, and if you're born again of the Spirit, like we taught you last Sunday, then you will only die once. Did you get it? And that's the way it's going to happen. That's the way it is. The return of Christ is going to happen that way. It's a very simple rendition, but yet it gives us everything we need to know to be ready. After the return of Christ, or the other point to encourage you with, is that of the rapture. Now, the word rapture is not found in the Bible, but it really means the living Christians are taken away. Wow, how exciting. What if it happened like right now? You know what I'm talking about? We might float up. We might not. I don't know what it might be like. We might just disappear. I'm not sure. But the Bible says in the 17th verse, after that, we who are still alive, we're still alive and we're left, we'll be caught up, we'll be snatched away. That's what the word means seized, rescued, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
Come on, Jesus. I mean, that sounds like something very, very powerful. Now, it's called the rapture, and there, there are different beliefs about the rapture. And some of you know about this, and some of this is new to you, but some people say it, the rapture is pre-tribulation. That means before any big trouble, God's just going to snatch the church out. Some people believe in mid-tribulation, meaning we're going to go through some trouble, but right about the middle, you know, we're going to be snatched out. Then some people believe that we're going to go all the way through the tribulation, post-tribulation, and then God's going to come and get us. And then there are those who believe in the pan-tribulation, which simply means that somehow or another it's all going to pan out. You understand? And then there's premillennialists, there's mid-millennialists, there's post-millennialists, there's, there's 13, 15, 18 different kinds of rapture. I've studied all of them. Matthew 24, verse 39, Jesus says, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be t- taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. And then in the 44th verse, he said, so you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect. So for believers, we take this serious. Let me tell you something. You might have a hot date tonight. You might be buying a new car next week. You might go on a trip. You know, Jan and I, we're leaving for Nepal next Friday. We'll be going 12 days preaching at a conference there with Pastor Rick Zachary. And all that's looking forward to and all that. But I tell you what, none of that means anything if Jesus comes back this afternoon at 4.15. Be ready. He says, you want to be ready. The application for us is that there are going to be two people in the office and one is going to be taken, the other left. There are going to be two families sitting by each other in church and one family is going to be taken and the other left. There are going to be three kids in the car and two are going to be taken and one is going to be left. I hope he's driving. I hope it, I hope it works out that way. One will be taken and one will be left behind. This, this ready means that we are serious about this thing of a relationship with Jesus. That we, we're, and when I say serious, I don't mean mad about it. I mean, we're serious. It's, it's serious joy. That makes sense to you. It's, it's serious. It's going to happen. And there are going to be multiple billions of people left because not all people serve God. It's going to be a big deal. Our attitude shouldn't be, oh, well, church is usual because when the second coming happens, church is not going to be usual. I've told you since I've been in 26 years, things will not remain the same. Things will not remain the same. Church, be ready. Things will not remain the same. And that's all right if you have trust in Jesus. Illustration of being ready, Jesus spoke in Matthew 25, 10 verses. He said, at the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars also with their lamps. The bridegroom, who is Jesus, was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom. And that's the way they used to do it in those days. The bridegroom, the the bride would be waiting already. And she didn't know when the, bride, when the bridegroom was going to come. And he had just come at any hour. And they were just announced, here he is.
come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. All the virgins. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell all and buy for some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Where were the five foolish virgins? Scurrying about, trying to accomplish what should have already been accomplished. And the door was shut. And you know, if you read your Bible ever, that when God shuts the door, no man opens it. When God shut the door of the ark with Noah and his family and the animals in there, it never opened again until the judgment of God was finished. It's an illustration of being ready, though. Let's not look at the five foolish virgins. Let's side on the five wise virgins. Let's not be scurrying about for oil, which is a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit, but let's be filled with the Spirit and ready for His coming to where when He calls, we don't have to scurry about trying to see if we can read the Bible real quick to be ready. Revelation 16, 15 says, Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. And that's not talking about physical nakedness or physical clothes. That's talking about being clothed in Christ alone. When he shall come with trumpet sounds, oh, may in him I be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, humbly standing before the throne. Before the throne. There's the return of Jesus, there's the rapture of the church, and there's the reunion where Christians will be with God forever. Come on now. You say, man, I want the reunion. Yay, man. Well, you got to be part of the family. It's a family reunion. It's weird when people who are not part of a family go to a family reunion. You start trying to introduce them and say, here's Uncle Bob and here's Aunt Sally. And it's like, I don't know who these people are. Just give me some chicken. You know, that's where people are in family reunions. I don't want it to be that way with you. The 17th verse of 1 Thessalonians 4 says, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Forever we will be with the Lord. Forever. It's a better thing than now. So I want you to think seriously with me just for a moment. Forever. Come on, use your mind. Just close your eyes and say, forever. My goodness. A thousand years, 10,000 years, one million years, forever, forever, forever. To be with the Lord forever, where there's no more death, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's no more abuse, there's no more abused children, there's no more wars, there's no more disease, there's no more divorce, there's no more, there's no more bad government, because the government is on the shoulders of Jesus. Come on, you, you understand? Come on, where there's peace. And where there's authority and Jesus rules and reigns, man. And there's no crooked judicial systems 
And no problems with judges or what we're trying to do that's all right, but sometimes we do it so wrong. But everything is right and handled with perfection. Come on, Jesus. Come on back. Come on back today, Lord. Come on back right now. Don't even let me finish what I'm saying. Let's just go home now. Wouldn't it be just great? Just right now, Jesus. My goodness. And because of this, because of this Maranatha, because Jesus is coming back, should we be end-time preppers storing up beans and bullets so that we can hunker down in our bunkers and shoot people who have a need? Should that be the, the idea? If that's your idea of Maranatha, you don't know God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You understand? Some trust in chariots and horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The name of the Lord our God, the authority of our God, the one who's coming, the one who's rapturing, and the one who's reuniting us together because we don't look to this world. Heard a story this past week about a, a, a pastor and his family who visited a, a global organization dealing with people in Africa, and they, they went into a village with the, with the coordinator of this particular uh, organization, and the pastor and he and the family went into this home in this village, and this home, this little hut was, was located down at the bottom of the village, and, and all the waste and the sewer and the garbage just ran down all through that house and that yard, and it was pitiful, and the kids were sick, and the men are horrible and they went into the home and the woman was just weeping and weeping and the missionary said to the pastor said you want to minister to her and the pastor just froze he didn't have anything to say he didn't know what to do and and the the, the missionary moved in and saved the day with just this wonderful God moment it was just major moment and everybody's weeping and we, he, he said, we went out in the, in the yard and I'm weeping and my family's weeping and the, the missionary's weeping and, and, and he looked at the, the missionary and he said, I, I didn't know what to say. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I didn't know how to minister. It's, it's just so bad. It's, it's so, you know, abject poverty. It's just, I, I don't, sickness and abuse. He said, and the missionary said, let me help you. He said, I understand. He said, you see, these people, their life is so hard. There is so much wrong. There's so much out of order. So much lacking. That when they believe in Jesus, they turn their eyes toward heaven. And they look for a city whose maker is God. And they look because they know that being with Jesus in the end... It's so much better than this awful life on this earth. He said, so that's why I told her, sister, there's a day coming where there will be no more of this pain and no more of this sorrow, but Jesus will embrace you. Men won't rape you any longer. Your children won't be beaten and abused, but Jesus will come and things will be right. Don't we need a little bit of that right now rather than trusting in our horses and our chariots and our money and our leisurely time and all the junk that we got that fills our life and overflows our life to where we can't see clearly Jesus come quickly. There's no prepping for Maranatha. Jesus is coming. 
Get ready. Get ready. Don't get ready, get ready, get ready for a great sermon. Get ready, get ready, get ready for a great Savior. Jesus, get ready for Jesus. Be ready for Jesus. That happens in your house and everywhere you go and he's coming back and we have to view it in the context, everything in our life in the coming of Christ. So what do we do? Because we have to work and we have to pay bills. We know that. I do that. You do that. I've been working since I'm 11 years old. I understand you got to work. You got to do that. But what do we, I'm going to give you some scripture now that's going to help you how you can be ready. The readiness is what we're looking for. See, because we haven't got the return yet. We haven't seen the rapture yet. The reunion's not take, taking place yet, but there is a readiness that is taking place. In 1 Corinthians 15, I suggest you read that whole chapter. It's all about resurrection. It's phenomenal. It'll answer all your questions. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable, the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on and says, then the, the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? Where's that? It's going to be swallowed up when that happens. Man, when we're changed from mortality into immortality, it's going to be like, hey, hey, death, where are you, bro? We're out of here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my, my, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Four things to get you ready, to keep you ready. Number one, know your victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Know your victory over sin. Know your victory over circumstances, over storms. Know that Jesus is the calmer of every storm, and he is on the other side waiting for you while he's with you in the middle of what you're in. You have to know the victory. You have to believe the victory. It's through Jesus Christ and him alone. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's arms. You stand firm, number two. You have to stand firm and you let nothing move you. You don't let divorce move you. You don't let sickness move you. You don't let physical problems move you. You don't let financial situations move you. Those are fleshly things. You are spirit, the Bible says. You've been born of the spirit, filled with the spirit, and led by the spirit. So you do not let things move you. Too many people let things move them too often. Jesus is big, he's strong. And in us, we are made strong. Let the problems come because they will. You cannot stop many problems. Some you make, you can stop those. Others come. They're coming down the pipe, man. You just got to be ready for them. Look, hit them like baseballs from a pitcher. Just come on, man. Let's hit some home runs. Number three, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. In and out of the church, but I want to tell you something, guys. What we heard yesterday from Pastor Joshua Monty was powerful to raise our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and our families to lead them in the ways of righteousness. 
But you need to be understanding to give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Your identity is not that you're an accountant or a truck driver or a teacher or a lawyer. That's not your identity. That's what you do for a living. Your identity is Christian. And you're busy about the Lord's work. And everything you do, you do heartily and mightily as unto the Lord. And you work hard in the Lord and you keep working hard. Let me tell you something, folks. Get busy in the Lord's work. Get busy serving other people. Get busy giving. Look, get busy in the things of the Lord. Stop being a bystander. Come on, get in the game. Get on the team. Give yourselves. Give your family. Become church people to the core. Get in the ark. Get in Jesus. Get your family in. Teach them what the way they ought to go. Be a, get an example. Stand on the front row with your hands lifted up, worshiping the king, and let your teenage kids see it. Let them know that you love the Lord and that you can't wait for Jesus to come back instead of teaching them to be carnal and lustful. Don't let anything stand in your way and always give yourself fully to the Lord. And you know why the fourth thing is? Because nothing that you do for Jesus is in vain. Nothing that you do, nothing that you do, understand your labor is not in vain. All your sharing, all your giving, all your coming, all your going, come on, all your serving other people, all that you do, all the praying, all the Bible reading, all the memorization, all the praying, all the seeking, all the crying out, all the rebuking, all the things, every, nothing's in vain. All the loving, all the forgiving, all the releasing, none of, it's not in vain. It's all in preparation to face the brilliant one, to stand in his presence knowing that you were ready and that you did not compromise everything that he gave you. You were one who, when you greeted people, said, Maranatha, our Lord is coming. Let's bow our heads together right now. Come on, believers. Come on. You who are Christians in this room right now who have surrendered your hearts to Jesus, you who are there and you say, I am a believer. I've been born of the Spirit. I am filled with the Spirit and I'm led by the Spirit. Examine yourselves. Paul said, examine yourselves to make sure you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Are you hastening the coming of the Lord? Are you diligently seeking him and saying, you know what, Lord, come back. My wife, at least once a week, sometimes five times a week, this comes out of her mouth continually, continually. Lord Jesus, come. Some of her passwords are come quickly. She is set and she is saying, come, Jesus. Come on, be ready. Man, if you're a virgin and you don't have oil in your lamp right now, I mean, if you just got just a little bit, you're just scraping the bottom, come on now. Get that lamp filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit and be ready when the bridegroom calls your name. Seek the Lord right now. And for you in this room who are not Christians, you're not a believer, but you're in this house and you're seeking God and you're saying, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more than what's going on. I, I, I feel empty. There's something, there's a void in my life. There's that spot in me. I don't know. I've tried to fill it with a lot of different things, but it's still there. It's still there. There's something wrong, something wrong. 
That spot can only be filled by Jesus, and this is not some preacher stuff going on. I'm not just bumping my gums. I'm telling you that there's a place in every person that only Jesus can fill. And so I want you to end your quest for filling that right now and be fulfilled. You simply surrender your heart to him. If you're in this room right now, and I believe there are many of you who are seeking God, and God is hearing you. He's been drawing you, as a matter of fact, to this very place in time for you to surrender to him. There's no pressure on the preacher. Jesus loves you, and he is ready to welcome you into his everlasting kingdom. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room right now and you say, Pastor Van, you just said how I am. I don't have assurance of eternal life. I'm, I, I'm just kind of seeking. I, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I, I just want to let you know right now that you're a candidate for receiving Christ. And if that's you and you say, Pastor, I'm ready to receive him. I want you to just shoot your hand up in the air. Nobody's looking around. Up in the air. Thank you so much. Thank you. Just shoot it up in the air. Come on now. Come on. Don't be a fool. Don't be a foolish virgin. Come on. Shoot it up in the air. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Come on. Yes, that's right. Come on. Just keep raising those hands up. Just keep, keep raising those hands up. Don't worry about your spouse. Don't worry about your parents. Don't worry about your children. Don't worry about what people will think. Only be concerned about Jesus. Anybody else? Just shoot that hand up. Put it right back down. Just shoot it up. Say, Pastor, I want to see Jesus one day in the, re the right resurrection. Thank you. Thank you so much. Right here, right now. We're all going to pray together as one big family because we want to help people come into the family of God. We don't want to make it any harder than it already is the battle that we fight to come to Christ. We're all going to pray this together, simple words. Just repeat after me. Everybody in the room with just, with just a real heart. Say, Father in heaven, we love you so much, but we sinned against you. I've sinned against you. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I ask you to accept me into your kingdom. I come empty-handed, trusting you to save my soul. I want to be able to say one day, Jesus, save my soul. And I want that day to be now. Right now. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to thank you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen and amen. Come on, Pastor Jordan. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. 
Just go to northwood.tv slash give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.